We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Road of His College Football Fantasy Podcast. Your place for all things Debbie, college DFS, and college football betting advice. I am your host, Stefan Leco, joined as always. Well, it's been a minute, but joined again by my boy, Matt Wispay. Matt, super excited you're here. We have an awesome show today. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the draft that took place a, a week ago. And then later, we have Kyle Borgannoni coming on from the Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast. Uh, he's also their content creator. It's going to be great to chat with him a little bit about DFS and kind of strategy stuff, similar to what we did with our uh, Campus to Canton content the other week. Uh, but before we jump in any further, Matt, welcome back. We have met, well, we is that me and the guests, not the guests, the audience, everyone. Everyone has missed you, Matt. Everyone has missed you. That's right here. Yeah. <laughs> welcome back. I'm not that special. I don't know why anyone missed me. Well, you know, they had to listen to me. I say stuff loudly and over top of you. Yeah. That's all you missed. And a uh, shout out to uh, Matt Bruning because he shouted us out on another podcast. Yeah, that was fun. Um, <laughs> it's always crazy. Like when people say my name correctly, I'm like, oh, wait, wow, that's nice. Because <laughs> it happens so rarely. Uh, before we get any further, I wanted to hear your thoughts just on the draft in general. Some some winners, some losers, uh, favorite spots. Uh, we just recorded an episode with Travis May, uh, and and you were a little down on a few guys that I liked, and vice versa. So I, I thought maybe we could hit some of those uh, some of those big guys. But first, we go, before we go into those specifics, because you like just, bad players. Well, yeah, no, I like special players. Uh, what what were your thoughts overall in the draft? Uh, I mean, it's always fun. I love the draft, and um, obviously, night one for me was pretty much just wait and see where Justin Fields goes, because as everyone knows, he is. He was basically the only person I cared about coming out this year. Land, I, it, and honestly, like I sit here and I, I'll tell you like, yes, Carolina would have been super fun. Yes, Denver would have been super fun. I don't hate the landing spot. I'm actually pretty happy with it. Uh, it's it's always nice when you have one surefire wide receiver to go to. So 
I would say I know that if you're in like super flex leagues and all that, like the surefire pick is, you know, Trevor Lawrence is the 101 in 99.999% of them. It's really, if you, if you're a Justin Fields fan who wants to have Justin Fields on your team, because fantasy football is meant to be fun. I promise you it's not a crazy pick to take him at the 101. He still, I, I think you, I, uh, Travis, and I would say probably quite a few of the road of his people would tell you that it was a one, a one B type situation with Trevor going into this. Trevor got the landing spot of Jacksonville. And I mean, I, I just think that I think you can make the case. And if, if you want to have Justin Fields on your team, you can take him at the 101. I mean, you can try to trade back to the 103, but we'll see if anyone really wants to pay that price. I know that's uh, that's your plan is trade. Yeah. But I would say that if you if you can't find the the willing trade partner, if you can't find the way to do it, get Justin Fields if you want Justin Fields. I think it's fine. Other guys, I mean, Kadarius Tony is the real winner here <laughs> because he got drafted like three rounds before he should have. And I'll say this. So we're at Rotoviz and anyone who is analytics-based I will flat out tell you, all of us are going to tell you the same thing. He's not a good prospect. He wasn't a guy any of us liked. He wasn't a guy that any of us were really wanting to see get drafted there. But he's probably a second round pick in one quarterback leagues. I'd say probably is mid second. I won't step on the toes of the our super flex draft that we did over on campus to Canton. You got to go listen to that one. Um, but I, I mean, he fell for us, but that should have been expected. But I will tell you that his ADP is probably going to settle out somewhere in the mid second. I think they should have gone with uh, Elijah Moore if they wanted that like shifty type guy. I think Elijah Moore does everything Kadarius Tony does, except he had production for more than one year and uh, was good. The other winners, none of the running backs. I mean, there's one running back, but he landed with the Jets, so I'm not going to call him a winner. <laughs> Tra- I mean, Trey Lance is the super winner. I, I think as yeah. much as I w- I'll sit here and I'll tell you. Um, you can take Justin Fields as the one one. I if you want Trey Lance, if you really love that upside you've seen from Trey Lance, I think you can make a case for him at the one one being in San Francisco. But really, I I think the biggest takeaway both uh, Travis and I had is every year we fall in love with prospects and we fall in love with thinking players are really good. And I think there are quite a few players that are really good. But the thing that we always overestimate every year is how many good landing spots are there. And right. typically for a wide receiver. There's like three, like if, if Rashad Bateman had gone to Detroit, I would feel better about it because Detroit has no one to throw to. Um, but then they didn't take a wide receiver until round four. So now we're like propping up guys because that landing spot who got fourth round capital. And it's, it's just, it's a weird year because I'd say more so than normal, the landing spots were so few and far between that you really, really liked that you're talking yourself into Jamar Chase as this can't miss when, I mean, we're really not that far removed from Tyler Boyd being a wide receiver two type player in dynasty leagues. And we're really close to having T Higgins as a fringe wide receiver one. So I just think it's, it's something that's, you're going to, this year's going to feel weird. You're probably going to have a lot of guys that, you feel a little bit icky taking. And I know one guy that I guess we can just talk about is uh, Rashad Bateman. And yeah. that's you, you are way down on him because of the landing spot. And I guess my response to that is show me really good landing spots. And uh, I, I just, I don't think you, there's that many options. So 
I think that someone like Bateman, who was a really high, high level prospect, I think you could have put him up there right alongside the big three that went early, the two Alabama guys and Jamar Chase. Um, but it's just it. Baltimore, are they going to throw the ball enough to make him super valuable? So it's right. a it's a weird year. I just think this year's draft was. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I think actually this is the most attached I've ever been to a draft other than I was, I I kid you not. I watched every hit piece that was out there on Justin Fields (laughs) for the last two months. Like anytime someone said negative about Justin Fields, I I watched it. Um, Any, and then anytime someone responded to say negative thing, I probably watched that. So like I watched all the Justin Fields content and then very little else. Um, So it was kind of an interesting perspective for me where I'm uh half watching the draft and like realistically from a from a perspective of thinking of rookies i, I mean it, it it's a if the i mean the thing travis said was let's say there were two good quarterbacks in this class like it was a normal draft how rough would that first round feel in a super flex league oh yeah for sure it would be it would, it would be real gross rough. Cause it already so, feels kind of scary at the end of it <laughs> and uh-huh. just for a lot of the reasons you said, but yeah, specifically about Rashad Bateman. Um, like you look at Lamar Jackson's uh, 2019 where he won the MVP and he had 401 passing attempts uh, last year. And again, he played, uh, he started in 15 games, both years last year, that number went down to 376. So, if I'm a betting man, I'm going to bet that he throws it more than 376. Like I I'm guessing it goes up to that 400, 400 plus, but still like the volume is just so low. Uh, and I don't know if there's going to be enough to really change that. So I just get really nervous, um, with, with Lamar Jackson as the quarterback. It's just such an outlier type of environment for Rashad Bateman to land that it makes me nervous. Like, it's not like we're talking about, like I was nervous about Jamar Jefferson, excuse me, Justin Jefferson. I was nervous about him last year uh, going to Minnesota. I was just like, I don't know. They love to run the football. And that ended up being just fine. Like, as we know, Jefferson did great last year. And I know you were a big fan of his. Uh, Bateman makes me nervous though, because it's not a similar style. It's not just that they like running the ball with the running back. Uh, the quarterback likes running the ball and not necessarily on designed plays, but he will take off on a called passing play as well. So I just worry about the volume and it's going to be really tough uh, to, to know what to do. I tend to be uh, fairly risk adverse. And to me, I would just rather take, uh, I'd rather take a different player that I feel like uh, has, you know, a safer floor, maybe not quite as high of a ceiling, uh, but you know, even if even if Bateman becomes the alpha in Baltimore, what does that mean? We don't know because we haven't seen it there with Lamar Jackson. And I think that I think they're probably pro. You're not taking an incorrect line on it. I think that that's you should have a risk averse approach with a lot of your first or with your early picks. Particularly, a guy like Bateman is going to be fringe first round probably in superflex leagues. You're talking early second round, but um, he, it's just. I, I think you're when you're we're like doing this, we I think it's just a weird spot because I, I don't necessarily think like Elijah Moore probably does take over the alpha role with the Jets and they probably do pass a little bit more, but are the Jets is Zach Wilson a markedly better passer than Lamar Jackson? Or and I, I say that in jest, I think Lamar Jackson's probably 
well ahead of Zach Wilson right now. But I would say like it's one of those situations where you have to weigh the the pros and cons of it. And I think the knowing that what you have in Lamar Jackson at least gives you some type of buoy to what his value is. So I don't know. It's a, it's like I said, I think it's got weird, a weird draft where like every single prospect has warts. And I, I I'll even say this because in one quarterback leagues, the one, the one in the, the one one and the one Oh two right now are Najee Harrison, Jamar chase and whatever order you really feel like. Um, we already talked Jamar chase. He's, he's got T Higgins. He's got Tyler Boyd. And he's got Joe Burrow and realistically Joe Burrow's like rookie ish season. Yeah. And a line that we're still not positive is going to keep Joe Burrow standing and a coach that we don't really like. So are we certain they can carry two wide receiver two pluses? Are we certain they can produce a wide receiver one? Or and then if we really think Jamar Chase is this like next to Leo Jones, are we certain they can carry a top five wide receiver? And my guess is that there's you're pro- one of the like one of Higgins and Jamar Chase turns into a pretty severe disappointment, and it's it's probably Higgins because we know the relationship with Burrow and Chase, but I I don't think that's a guarantee. So I think there's some warts there, and and then what happens if the coaching staff completely gets overhauled in this next off season, and they bring in a running coach with a defensive mind? Um, oh, gross. Why would anyone do that? Like what? It, that. Like what? Let's say they bring in Mike Zimmer or something like a Mike Zimmer type coach. Um. It's just like, what do you do then? Now you're looking at a situation that may have gotten objectively worse. Um, so it's just weird. And then yeah. Najee Harris, I mean, to call Pittsburgh's offensive line below average, it seems like a compliment. I mean, right. they're, they're probably <laughs> bottom five. Yeah. So sure, Najee Harris showed a lot of chops as a as a receiving back, but I don't think he's getting Christian McCaffrey level work. Where he, I don't think he's getting 80 receptions or something like that. I think he's probably going to look in like that. 30 to 35 receptions on top of let's say 250 carries behind a bad line. So sure it's, you hope it improves, but what if he gets, I mean, he might get the crap kicked out of him for two seasons and now you're just looking at a running back who's already kind of worn out before he gets to the end of his first contract. So it's a, it's a really weird situation. And I think this year's draft, as much as you hate the, Travis Etienne may not get the bulk of the work. Maybe that keeps his legs a little bit fresh. And when they eventually say we'll move on from our undrafted free agent, uh, James Robinson and our 75 year old Carlos Hyde, um, then maybe Etienne's looking at a situation that has had two to three years to improve. Now, mind you, I don't particularly know that urban Meyer is going to be a great coach. I think he's a decent CEO type, but I've never really seen him as a great X's and O's type. So we'll see if, uh, they, I mean, they're able to do stuff. I, I don't I don't necessarily believe in that situation. So I think it's this is just a weird it's such a weird year. Um, and I, I will warn everyone. 2022 prospects are not good. I, I totally agree. And what, that's part of the reason, like I said, too, like uh, looking at rookie drafts, I'm super excited to move down because while I do think um, there is a tier. I think it's Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields is the one A one B, like you said. And then I think Trey Lance is right there. And to me, I'd rather have the one three with a little bit of extra something, um, whether it's a vet that I need to to, you know, complete my my wide receiver core or picking up a second round pick or something like that. Like I'd rather do that and, and roll with Lance than um than take that one oh one. I just think there's a lot of a lot of con- not a lot of concern. That's maybe speaking uh, too strongly. I think 
NFL-wise, you know, we always have to be careful. Like, NFL is different than fantasy. I think with Trey Lance's just unique ability to run the ball, Justin Fields' unique ability to do both, and Trevor Lawrence, obviously, is going to be a dynamic passer, we believe. Uh, but because of the the difference in their style, and yes, we talked about it the other day, yes, Tre- Trevor does run as well. But I just think the fantasy scoring for these guys could all be fairly similar two, three years in. And uh, for me, I'd rather get get the extra value. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm curious what you thought about the running backs. That's just uh, I, I'd love to hear kind of how you um, order them. Uh, myself, I do have Najee Harris one. I've got Javante Williams two. I've got, and you're going to hate this. I actually do have Michael Carter. This is where it gets insane. Yeah, I have this Michael Carter, Michael Carter three, and then Etienne four. And this is not based on skill. This is not based uh, solely on like who I think is the best running back. This is factoring in, you know, what I think will be uh, fantasy production, uh, at least for at least for uh, for next year um, and for the year following. Like I do believe Melvin Gordon will be on his way out, and Javante will take over as a lead back in, in Denver, which is why he's number two. Najee is number one, because I think he does get the most touches this year, uh, even though they may not be as efficient as we might like. And then Michael Carter, I'm just super bullish on because I love the landing spot, uh, given not only that there's no real competition in the Jets backfield, but I think his style of play really fits uh, what the Jets are going to want to do uh, with uh, this, you know, the, the single cutback type running. Um, and then Travis Etienne, I just don't like the spot. I, I don't, really know what to make of um the offense just yet i think there's a lot of question marks which again i'm a little bit adverse when it comes to picking early so i just don't think i'm gonna have much etienne on my on my in any of my drafts this year just because robinson's there Hyde is there i think they might even still have chris thompson i'm not 100 sure on that i haven't looked because he's a you know not that doesn't matter not it's that chris relevant thompson. and even if he is there it's not like he's gonna be the third down back that'll be etienne <laughs> um and i do think like we like we we've talked about this. We both think that uh, Urban Meyer was kind of just blowing some sunshine up everyone's ass when he was talking about Hyde and Robinson being the one-two punch, and then Etienne coming on third down. Like I don't buy that, but I still do think that they're uh, they're doing the running back by committee. Which you know, honestly, if I'm an NFL coach not caring about fantasy football, it's probably not a bad strategy. Uh, making sure that you aren't just running your running backs into uh, into the ground every game uh, when you have two good running backs, you're you know, able to do a lot more. So I get it. Uh, it just sucks for fantasy. So I know my order is a little unconventional. I'm curious how you, how you see it. So my, my order goes Najee Harris at one, um, Travis Etienne at two, Javante Williams at three, Michael Carter at four, Trey Sermon at five. And then probably I do think one after that, I probably actually do. Who was the one I was looking at that I do like? Uh, I don't hate Kenneth Gainwell. His landing spot, and I don't hate Ramondre Stevenson's landing spot. Yeah, both um, have interesting potential. I wrote, I wrote about both of the the possibilities for fantasy production for them in a in an article on Rotoviz. But yeah, you could see Gainwell getting that third round, third down role, as well as maybe eating into some of Sanders's carries. And who knows what happens in New England with Stevenson for sure. And then who knows? I, I like I I still think Jermar Jefferson's a good prospect, but don't I'm not paying anything for him at this point because you can't. He's sitting behind a top five running back in the league at the moment, or a top five dynasty running back. Yeah, I, I the one interest, the one na- other name. I, I mean, I joke about it. I, I don't know the, if Chris Evans turns out to be as good as people think he is. The landing spot isn't bad because Joe Mixon is the only guy there. And then I know he's behind the best running back in the NFL, but Chuba Hubbard is behind a guy that 
had missed quite a bit of time. So right. I think there's an opportunity that if that if Christian McCaffrey is starting to get to the point where his body's going to break down, then maybe Chuba Hubbard sees the field. And maybe that salvages what we all hoped for him last year. Well, oh. yeah. And to, to, to that point, if I'm a McCaffrey owner, I'll take Chuba late just to lock up that backfield. Um, Chuba's you know, decent. You're only going to be playing one of them a week, but uh, yeah, either one of them is going to produce. I mean, we saw what Mike Davis was able to do there. What are your thoughts on, um, uh, before we kind of uh, say goodbye to some of our favorite players, uh, just a couple Kyle of Pitt. later round, not later round, but kind of under the radar wide receivers. I want to just hear your thoughts on uh, Deami Brown to the Washington football team to me seems pretty exciting. Um, they don't have a ton of other options there. Yeah. Terry McLaurin is, is great. Uh, and, and he was able to produce even with subpar quarterback play. Now we bring in uh, Fitzpatrick uh, who we both love for fantasy. And all of a sudden Deami Brown has some interesting upside in my opinion. What are your thoughts on him uh, in particular? Cause he was a guy that I really liked uh, going into the draft yeah. and I was nervous that he might not get a good landing spot or good draft capital and ended up being fine on both counts. It wasn't bad. Uh, I think that his capital gives you a little bit of hope. Um, still a day two guy. Uh, I do think I'm, I was actually a little bit surprised he made it to round three. I actually, this year's weird. A lot of the guys that, uh, they kept telling us we're going to go high, uh, went high and all the guy, and they were the guys that we kept telling, like screaming, like, nah, you're lying. You're not really going to take Kadarius Tony above, or, uh, above right. Rondell Moore. You're really not going to. Okay. Yeah. Dwayne Askridge had a good senior bowl, but you're not really going to take, Oh, okay. You are. Okay, cool. Um, and then Josh Palmer was just a stupid pick. Um, but for, as for Brown, you're right. I mean, I think landing spot wise, if he can just immediately, I think you can take a pretty decent guess that he's going to walk right in and immediately be the two mm-hmm. in Washington. And with as much as they were reliant upon non wide receivers to make plays last year, I think that's a pretty solid landing spot. So uh, my, the only question I have for him with dynasty and why I'm not going to like push him way up my board is just who's the quarterback there in 2022. Like, cause I, I as much as I do think that they Fitzpatrick is going to do a lot now, I think they do need to start thinking about the future of that position right. because that team actually is, they're weirdly good. Yes. Like their defense might be amazing yeah. and their offense is just like going to hold them back. So we'll see. And I don't think they're going to invest in a 742 year old um, Ryan Fitzpatrick. So um, yeah. So De'Ami Brown's solid. The other name I'm he's uh, let's see. I mean, I'm on Ross St. Brown. So this is one that I think is going to be sort of a, a weird spot. His capital is not good. Like, please don't talk yourself into thinking that fourth round capital. Oh, well, it was fourth round. It was day three. Anything on day three sucks. Um, if if he lasts a day three, that is not good capital. Doesn't matter when. Um, but he landed in a spot where look around the wide receiver room and say, well, who else is here? Yeah, Brashad um, Perryman and Tyrell Williams. I mean, like they hello. Really went from you went from one of the better receiving like duos in the league, like not top five, but probably like top ten, to legitimately. I don't know who's on their roster. Yeah, I just and told you, those are their two, the one and their two. Yeah, those are real people. Um, but it's just, I, I mean, it's it's a bad spot, and I think Amon Ross St. Brown was a player that, as a freshman at USC, he immediately made an impact. He 
he never really tr- he never broke out. And I feel like he was one of the guys that got most impacted by COVID season was because I think he was in a spot where he probably was going to pick up a chunk of Michael Pittman's work that got left behind. And then when the season was so broken, it, it really just looked bad. Like yeah. I think their offense, it's funny because after week one, like you and I are kind of both college DFS players. We were both kind of talking about how we really liked Oh man, get it, get these guys in there, get them in there because they're just all going to do stuff. And then they just kind of stopped. Right. And it wasn't really a lot of fun to watch. And so, I mean, I think he, he was probably hindered by that. And I do think that he probably would have looked better in a combine situation because I mean, the one thing that you can say about him is he's a very smooth route runner. He's not, I don't think he's a freak athlete, but he's very smooth and he makes everything look a little bit easy. So I do think he'll get some run. Um, other day three guys, I'm just going to – the wide receiver that I, I love, though, and I'm going to try and own everywhere I can own him, is Elijah Moore. Again, I don't like this. I don't want to be attached to the Jets, but I love Elijah Moore. He he is such a fun prospect, and I, I, I just – I mean, he's going to be a player that I just don't – I don't see him fully whiffing. I don't know that right. he'll ever become your high-end wide receiver one – I don't think he'll ever become Antonio Brown, but I think there's a really good chance he becomes a Julian Edelman. You lock him in as like the wide receiver, 16 to 18, something like that. You're in, you're out, and you're very happy with it. So it's funny. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's funny how Ole Miss has all of a sudden become wide receiver you, huh? <laughs> like they're just has they're have they're having That'll this change. legacy. They're having this legacy That'll... of just ballers. Yes, but that will change when Ohio State sends all of their wide receivers to the NFL. So yeah. Uh <laughs> I, I have to do it. I'm gonna let you hop on to this interview and uh I will be back in a couple of weeks with you. Awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, Before we hear from Kyle, I'm just going to take a minute here to hear from our sponsors. Uh, Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just one minute. Look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best golfers sometimes three-putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to GetRoman.com slash RotoViz now. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. 
a U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication's appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash RotoViz and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash RotoViz now to get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. GetRoman.com slash RotoViz. Get started now to save $15 on your first month of treatment. Hey, RotoViz Radio listener, this is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to RotoViz.com, click the subscribe button, put the 12 month subscription in your cart, and use promo code RVRADIO2021. That's RVRADIO2021, and you're going to save 10%. Taking advantage of this deal, getting your hands on what's included in the package, is the best way to enhance your performance this year. So go to rotoviz.com and subscribe now. All right, welcome back. I am excited for this portion of the podcast. I have our special guest, Kyle Borgononi. I hope I nailed it this time. Um, From the Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast, he's also their content manager. It's so good to have you here. We were just chatting a little bit. Um, I've been doing DFS not for all that long, and... I just wanted an opportunity to get more exposure on players that I wasn't able to draft. Even though I'm in like a million leagues, there's always a couple players that you don't have. And DFS gives you that opportunity to snag some of them. So I really wanted to play, but I didn't know really what I was doing. So I started listening to uh, you and Betts' podcast over with the Fantasy Footballers or DFS show and learned so much. And so I uh, wanted to be able to bring you on, uh, let the teacher continue to teach the masses. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, Kyle. How are you doing today? I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, no, a lot of DFS, especially in the off season is just relearning the craft. It's figuring out like, how does this work? And I actually was a former teacher. I was a high school teacher for a while. So I think that's part of my background. And as a teacher, it's not so much telling people like, this is what you have to do. It's kind of like distilling the information in a way where people can teach themselves kind of like, you know, teach a person to fish. Right. So I do love that part of DFS and uh, I'm glad you've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, I, I forget. I think it was uh, midway through the season. There was some some Glenn and love going on that I just couldn't get oh, behind. Gosh. But <laughs> I don't remember if that was you or Betts now, but that was that was a good time. That so, was definitely me. And uh, the best part about DFS is you can, you know, say it one week and then just flip the script and say, I don't know who Mike Glennon is. I don't know who you guys are talking about. Right. <laughs> right. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Another thing I love is like you guys talk about like DFS for the rest of us, which just kind of reminds me of of Seinfeld, which is always a good thing, um, like a Festivus for the rest of us. Uh, but I really appreciate that because not all of us have the time and energy to invest, you know, eight hours a day to make sure that we come up with the, the best optimal lineups and playing them in the right spots. Um, and so I do recommend everyone go and check out the uh, Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast uh with kyle and and bets and listen to them you'll get smarter and they give great tips throughout the season on on recommended players to play and and how to do it but i i before we jump in i'm curious 
uh, Matt and I were just talking on the other side of the ad break here uh, about the draft. You're an Atlanta Falcons fan. Uh, I'm curious what you thought about them landing Kyle Pitts with that first pick. Were you hoping they'd go Justin Fields? I, I know for a little bit you, uh, I was listening to your podcast a couple of weeks ago and you were kind of going back and forth. So how, how did you feel when they actually said the name? Were you excited or were you a little bit bummed? I was a little bummed, which was such a conflicted feeling of having a player like Pitts who's just a freak. It's going to be fun. I bought his jersey like the day of, so yes. I was super, super pumped. But yeah, there was a part of me that wanted us to get Fields. I love Matt Ryan, but Fields is a local guy. He's from here uh, outside Atlanta. And so there's there's just some excitement. I think I also had a lot invested in Fields in the pre-draft process, as you said. So yeah, it was, it was kind of a weird, conflicted feeling, but I, I've moved forward. I'm excited about our team. And uh, from a fan perspective, but also just from we're going to be talking about them with DFS all the time because our defense is still trash. <laughs> yeah. And the skill skill position players are incredible. Uh, what do you think? Real quick, I'm just going to do a little bit of an Atlanta Falcons deep dive. Uh, some of the writers here over at Rotoviz were super like this is pre-draft. We're super excited about Javion Hawkins. I know he landed with y'all as a undrafted free agent. Do you think he might be a name that you're bringing up? early in the season in your DFS podcast as maybe a cheaper running back to play um, in daily? Or do you think that he might end up just kind of being a committee guy? Mike Davis will be the the guy to own in the backfield. Yeah. You know, with, with Hawkins, I think a lot of people thought he was going to be like a day three pick. And when he fell out, it's mostly because of size. He's five, nine. He saw a ton of touches at, at Louisville. Like I think it was like almost 400 touches the last two years. So even though he's a bit smaller, like he can kind of get the workload that you want. But I mean, they didn't really invest much money in him in terms of undrafted free agents. I think it was like 35,000. So uh, hopefully, you know, we'll see him make the team. The news with Carry on Johnson also right. has me saying that would be that would be nice. But with Atlanta Falcons and in terms of running back last year, it was Gurley getting, you know, the touchdowns. That was the only reason he was valuable. We're, we've been historically really bad at running the ball uh, outside of any zone scheme. And so the way that Arthur Smith wins, at least he did with the Titans, is his zone blocking scheme and play action pass. So I would love if we could have a running game. And I think Mike Davis will have some games where he's the contrarian play off of like a Ryan Julio stack. But who knows? Like, do they like Quadri Olison? Like there's nobody else on this roster. So <laughs> I I, right now I have no idea. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's going to be interesting. And uh, yeah, you, you, you brought up, uh, you know, contrarian plays and stuff like that. And I want to get into all of those kind of um, ideas when it comes to DFS ways to uh, be successful. Uh, before we jump into all of that, I'm just curious, what's your favorite way to play DFS? Do you like tournaments? Do you like head-to-heads what's your favorite preferred style or do you just like a a smattering of all of it you know so this is the curse of the early dfs success so a lot of people when they first start off in dfs when i did you know five or six years ago it was the commercials that they had on that said you can win a million dollars so i thought hey i need to win a couple tournaments and the curse was is that i did really well i think in my first year in a tournament i had jj nelson the Basically, he's like super thin. He's basically two two Atwell, if we're yeah. honest. Like they're just rail thin. Uh, he won me a tournament because I think he went for like one fifty and and two, and I had him at like point two percent. Like it was just, it was. So I thought from the very beginning, tournaments is the way to go. Uh, but I learned over time to value cash games, to value the process of building a cash game lineup, 
And so I've kind of made it clear that I do need to play more cash. And I, I in a second, I'll kind of explain, but for people to be long-term successful, like you need to start off playing 80% cash and 20% uh, GPPs. But I play a little bit more than bets. So I'm about a 60-40 cash game uh, player. And I just love the fact that when you assemble a cash game lineup, you have your first takes on like a, I don't know, I start assembling a lineup on Thursday and then it shifts until Sunday. And I love that process from Thursday to Sunday of just kind of tinkering with your lineup. So it, and perfecting it and obviously probably overthinking it too, but oh, absolutely. I do love that part <laughs> of DFS. Yeah. So yeah, you, you brought up a couple things there, GPP and cash, and we're going to get into all of that. Um, I'd love for you to just explain some of that, uh, just kind of go through the basics. But before we do that, one more question. Uh, do you prefer like the main slate or do you like some of those crazy, like, you know, the, the late afternoon games where you're picking from only four different games and you, you've got a smaller selection of players to go through? What, what, what are your preferences there? I'm predominantly a main slate person. I just feel like in my research, I don't want to spread myself too thin. So for me, it's uh, Thursday night, I will play the Thursday night because I just get to focus on that. But then from Friday on, I'm all focused on the main slate. And then on Mondays, I get to really hammer home the Monday slate. So it, it's kind of like, I'd rather look at that. Now, a lot of people I know that have done really well, they focus on the afternoon slate because it's a little bit easier. There's less, less people involved, but, uh, the main slate to me just feels like the big thing. I mean, that's like why we show up. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's it for me. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I prefer the main slate. I also feel like I can find better bargains and stuff like that. But I'm probably finding the same ones <laughs> that everyone else is, honestly. Uh, but that, that that that's awesome. Let's get into some of the uh, basics here. And and please feel free to go off on tangents. Uh, you know, you're your former teacher, you know, that you know, a lot of us learn the most when we go off on tangents. So feel free, I'm going to hand over, I'm going to ask questions and let you uh, educate and entertain. Uh, so, so just to start, you already mentioned it. What's the main difference between GPP and cash? Uh, what are they? And, and just kind of what are your strategies when you're looking at both, uh, both styles? I'll just start off with cash and for cash, you're asking yourself, how can I narrow the competition to be better than, you know, a lot of contests like 51%. When we talk cash, a lot of times on our podcast, we're talking about head to heads, but 50-50s is where I think people need to be able to spend a lot of their cash on. Like a lot of your your capital each week needs to go to 50-50s because if you're spending a little bit of time, and obviously this is my job now, I get to do this full time and, and look at it, but 51% of the people feels like something that is beatable. You know, usually in the betting markets, you're like, all right, Vegas, if I'm better than 51% you know, of Vegas stuff, then like I'm doing awesome. But like DFS you could be easily in the top 60% week in, week out. And, you know, you'll take a bath every once in a while, but you're narrowing your competition in cash. And you're saying, how can I have players with high floor, uh, with, you know, guaranteed volume? That's where you want. And when you're doing head-to-heads, you're also narrowing your field from like trying to hit the nuts and trying to basically say, I'm going to be better than everyone else. I'm going to figure out who these wide receivers are this week that no one else is thinking about. You don't have to do that. And I think that puts a lot of pressure off of you and, and off of uh, yourself of making mistakes. You can have a cash game lineup. I did last year where I had Jimmy G as my cash game quarterback. And I think he hit two points that week. And oh, no. I still cashed because <laughs> yeah. I could actually withstand the rest of uh, 
uh, of that uh, with my lineup. So that that's to me why I would encourage people to play cash. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I also, I, I like cash. I'm like, man, I'm getting good at this. And then, then I'll do a, a tournament style. I'm like, oh man, no, <laughs> maybe not this week. So, so talk to me a little about GPP and how your, uh, how your mindset shifts a little bit when you, when you enter into those contests. So cash, you're, you're maintaining some confidence and in GPP, you're basically embracing variance. And that's like, that's such a hard thing because we play with our emotions so much. We either like players, we have biases. And the best part about GPP is sometimes I get to just throw out what my bias is and say, I don't like this player, but I can actually take a shot in the dark because I actually think that there is room for this player to hit their ceiling this week. And so with GPP or grand prize pool, you're inviting a whole different level of competition because you're, you know, depending on the size of the field, you're basically saying, okay, there's 100,000 people here. Chances are you're not going to be better than them. No matter how good you are, the best players in the world are not, uh, they're not hitting that. They're just not doing it on a regular basis. But the best part about GPPs is you're assembling a lineup that you need two or three players to really hit their ceiling. But you also need two or three players to hit their ceiling that not many players are talking about. Right. And so wide receivers is the position. If I could just say wide receivers win GPPs. Like, if you figure out that week who Sammy Watkins, you know, week one of 2019, if you had that in your lineup, if, if that was in there, then chances are you did really well because I think he was like 0.5% that week with Patrick Mahomes. So uh, as the number of entrants kind of increases, you also have to increase your attention to just small details because that's what differentiates you. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of GPPs will you get involved in? Do you do or do you recommend people do those ones with hundreds of thousands of people uh, and you enter in like 10 different lineups or or do you like to do the the smaller ones and maybe just enter a few lineups? How how do you usually go about uh, setting your setting your lineups and entering different contests? Yeah, the the Millie Maker is attempting <laughs> and I I I have flushed a lot of things down the toilet going after the millimaker. I think most people have just said, I'll throw 25 bucks in here. But the rule of thumb that we talk about a lot with GPPs is if you can't max enter, you're already playing from behind. So a lot of GPPs, the max entry is 150 or maybe it's smaller. If you can't pay that out, you're just basically drawing dead and hoping that your three entries for 75 bucks is going to beat the person that puts in a couple thousand. And that's just really, really hard. So those large field tournaments of 100,000 people plus, uh, there's better ways to do it. And what I encourage people is if you do want a huge prize pool, you know, $250,000, whatever it is, you can find ones that are a lot cheaper that you can enter in, um, you know, for a dollar each. Or maybe to start off even better, there are contests on FanDuel and DraftKings that are a nickel, you know, or a dime. And I love figuring out how to max enter and just saying, okay, I'm going to pick like three quarterbacks. We have an optimizer on our site. There's a lot of, lots of great optimizers out there and kind of put my settings in. But think about with five cents, you can enter 150 lineups and pay $7.50. Like right. it's the same kind of odds if we're honest, but you at least get to try this out and figure out optimizers at a level that is doable if you just completely blank. And so I encourage people a lot, look for those tournaments because they're they're large field. 
but they're actually not costing you the same amount um, if you want to. So I try to max enter that one every single time because I'm I want to try out new things. That's the place to try it out. Trying it out in Millie Maker is probably not the best place to do it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, not if you want to pay your mortgage uh, next month anyway. No, not at all. And and you know, Betts and I always joke on the podcast. We say, well, once we win the Millie Maker, we'll never do this podcast again. We'll never talk oh. to you guys. <laughs> yeah, you'll be back. That's <laughs> I know we definitely will because the competition and playing against people in strategy, like that's why we stay. But here's my, here's my advice. And this is some, uh, old baseball, an old baseball adage. Cause I hate to say it, but baseball is actually, uh, was my first love with sports, even though I do football stuff full time and I play baseball through high school, but you have to take the, the Tony Gwynn or the Wade Boggs approach for those of you, uh, eighties and nineties. But basically those guys just hit doubles. Like it was, it was their job. Like that's what they wanted to do. Boggs, uh, was funny. He's got a lot of lore for what, you know, the way they would drink beer and eat fried chicken, but Boggs averaged eight homers a year. This is a hall of famer. Yeah. Averaged eight homers a year. But then in 1987, he hit 24. He led the league in OPS. And I know I'm using a lot of baseball terms, but the point is you keep hitting doubles over and over again. You will have a, a moment where you just knock it out of the park. And with DFS, hit those doubles in a place like single entry tournaments. Hit those doubles in places where the field only has a, a thousand people as opposed to a hundred thousand people. And you'll just get those reps in where eventually over time those doubles turn into uh, they turn into home runs. Like and and Boggs did that uh, one year. But that approach isn't sexy. Like no one's like man. Like chicks don't dig doubles. They dig <laughs> long balls, right? Right. Right. No, that, so, that's uh, good. That's good. I think understanding where to play is super important because for a lot of us, um, you know, it's, it's the excitement of, you know, like you said, like you see that million dollar you, you prize, you, you want in, you come up, you, you spend your time with that one perfect lineup and you don't realize that, man, you're like, the odds are so stacked against you because you only have that one lineup. And someone else has that same lineup, which is a few variances and you just have no, no shot really. So I really appreciate that. You, you mentioned real quick about the optimizer sure. on your website. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So optimizers are super fun, but they can also be detrimental if you use them the wrong way. You know, optimizers aren't meant to just say, give me the winning lineup. If you were to go into an optimizer on our site or any other site and just say, build me one lineup, they would give you a popular lineup and a lineup that has a really high floor. Now that doesn't really help you with GPPs that, that much. So the way that you get to kind of change your settings and you can do this on lots of, lots of sites, but change your settings in terms of your exposures. A lot of times there will be clear chalk that week that says, this is the player that's most popular based on, uh, we have a system where with fan share, we figure out who's the most tagged player on social media. And a lot of times it's going to be a running back. You know, this is a Derrick Henry week and everyone's going to be playing him. Or this is Devontae Adams week. Last year, it felt like that was every single week you had to play Devontae Adams. Right. <laughs> and you can you can kind of figure out your exposure. Like, okay, well, if they're saying 33% of the field is going to be playing Adams, you get to take a stance on that. And so that's what I love about our optimizer is you can kind of put in those settings for yourself and figure out uh, how to build lineups. And so I'll usually put in the settings of for each players, exit out players that I don't like. And then it'll spit out to me, maybe 
I usually do about 10 lineups. And from there, I kind of like hand build my lineups. I don't like to just max enter with the optimizer all the time um, because it's still a computer program. There's just something about putting in your players in right. the pool. But uh, it is super fun for you to see a bunch of combinations that you just don't have time. Like I don't have time to think through every single combination if I'm stacking Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Like, uh, But they can actually do that for me and then I can kind of build around that. Yeah, and is that just on the Fantasy Footballers website? Yeah, so we, we partner with Rotowire um, and we have, uh, we have theirs on our site. So yeah, you can get that. It's part of the DFS pass. Awesome, that's very good. Okay, you you brought up so much stuff that we need to to dive into here. <laughs> so um, I want to talk about building a roster, but before we do that, I I do want to jump into just some some risk management and a lot of this kind of stuff uh, we've talked about already here. You've you've mentioned kind of as you were explaining a lot of the other stuff. So that's awesome. Um, but I I do uh, wonder what your preference is. You, you kind of mentioned avoiding those those massive. Um, more expensive ones if you're trying to build out like a successful roster, like not joining $25 and hundreds of thousands of entries. So when you're looking at the difference between a GPP and a cash, uh, you, you mentioned kind of like where you're investing your capital. How do you recommend players who know what they're doing? They've done it a little bit before, but are, are trying to take their their DFS game to the next level. What do you recommend in terms of investment from a perspective of looking at those, like, will you dabble with some of the the bigger ones as well? Or are you going to focus most of your money on those smaller ones, maximizing your opportunity to win the smaller ones rather than, you know, throwing a few Hail Marys with the uh, the bigger prizes? Yeah, I think in terms of it, your risk management, in terms of the way you want to look at it, I think starting with the 80-20 is the best way to look at it. And I had someone a while back explain it to me. It's it's kind of like a ladder as well that we usually just want to jump to the very top and say, I'm going to hit the milli. But the way that you really get in the reps and you figure out how to do it is you're kind of each week, let's say you had $10. It's a really small, simple amount. You want eight of that to start off going in cash so that you know a lot of those cash ones, you're just doubling up. And then the $2 that you have, and you can use this for $100, $1,000, whatever you want, same same principle. But you're saying, I'm going to devote $2 to GPPs so that if I do lose, and the chances are you will lose, that you actually get to make up for it in your cash. And so you're kind of building by maybe saying, of those $8 in cash, I'm going to do four of that in double ups. I'm going to do another four of that in head-to-heads. and if you only hit half of those, you're making your money back. Like you're 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 actually setting yourself up long term, and you know it's important to to actually keep a record of your bankroll because we're just really good at telling ourselves of seeing a green number at the end, like I did awesome this week, and then right. you look up like <laughs> I put in a hundred dollars, but I won ninety nine. So did I do anything this week? Right, right. So, uh, so it's really helpful to have a helpful record, and we have like spreadsheets that kind of just. Put in your entries. They they log it for you. If anybody ever wants access to those, I can feel free. I've DM them out. But the 80-20 rule is really helpful. And then you're starting to build. When you build your bankroll off of cash, you can kind of expand that and and go up the ladder to the next. Where you, let's say you have twenty bucks. Like okay, well, eighty twenty rule there says you, you can go in a lot different direction in terms right. of what you're playing in GPPs. And so that first week, everyone wants to get in. There's also a lot lower prices. 
in terms of the big tournaments because they're trying to get in people that that want it. And so I can't tell you not to play those because those are super fun when it's week one, everyone's playing DFS. But DFS as a whole goes downhill after week eight in terms of just like the overall participation. Interesting. And that's actually where I think you can actually uh, take even more advantage because there's just not as many eyes on it. Yeah. Um, real quick, you mentioned double ups and head to heads. Can you give us a quick explanation of the difference between those and then also why you diversify those $8 or that 80% into both of them as opposed to just one of them? Yeah, I would say with double ups, which is my preference, is you can find fields that are like a thousand people, which is great. And you can set yourself in a position to say, I think I can be better than 51% of this group. Like I mentioned earlier, like that's just, that number feels so doable. Uh, and in 17 weeks last year, I think Betts and I cashed like 12 out of 17, which is really actually probably too good. We were probably ahead of schedule. Um, but you're setting yourself up long-term to be successful with the double ups with head to head. I sometimes get, get a little scared because it's like, you don't see anyone's cards you don't see anyone's and then it like they show it and you're like, holy crap, I have no way to beat this person's lineup yeah. head to head. And you're also playing the game of chicken in re regards to like, who's chalk? Are you going to play the chalk or am I, you know, is it me? And we recommend getting just one cash game lineup because it, it, it overcomplicates it when you start getting 10 different cash game lineups. So there's a lot of highs and there's a lot of lows. If you're cashed <laughs> in cash that week, you're, you know, you can easily zero, but when you diversify with the head to heads, you realize that this other person, on the other side of this contest is going to hit a low as well. So you're actually giving yourself an out. If you have a, you know, not great week, let's say you didn't hit your, your double ups, you know, your 50 fifties. Let's say you didn't hit that. You really only got like 45%. You just missed the cut, but you could still actually beat somebody in a head to head. So right. you're just trying to diversify yourself and giving yourself an out if you don't do as well. That makes too much sense. I like it. Uh, let's let's move to to kind of some of the hours spent building the roster because I know that is a lot of DFS. And I have a lot of questions for you here. Again, some of these you've already hit on a little bit and so we, we don't have to spend much time on it. Where do you start? When you are, it's, uh, it's Friday morning, you just, uh, you're counting all your money after the Thursday night game. Uh, where, where are you starting uh, from a, a roster construction perspective? Are you going to the running back? You going to the quarterback? You finding the, the the value play of the week, the chalky play of the week? How are you starting off? So I'll back up a little bit by saying I'm old school in the sense of, you know, I work for a company remotely. I do everything digitally, but I write as much as I can down. Like handwriting is, I think, a lost art and something I really enjoy. Me too. I've so got I my piece of paper here. That <laughs> taking notes. <laughs> there you go. So every year I have like a little, you know, notebook that I just jot stuff down and sometimes it has work stuff and, you know, life stuff. But I would say on a Tuesday, you get the lines, you get at least some exposure. And all I do is I just write out every single game, you know, just write, you know, it's the Titans playing the Jaguars. And I'm just going to identify on a Tuesday or Wednesday. This is just my first gut reaction. Because a lot of times either that first gut reaction, like it was sharp or it caused so much bias that I wasn't able to move off it on like Friday, but I need to write it down because if you write it down, it gets out of your head 
And you can tell yourself so many different stories when it's just sitting in your head, but writing it right. down keeps you accountable. It, it's, it's a, it sounds silly, but it really does when you see something in front of you and say, I really like James Robinson this week. And then you May get to Thursday or peace. Friday and you go, oh gosh. <laughs> I will say this about James Robinson. James Robinson was one of the few times, I, I read an undrafted free agents article every year. And that's just like a 0 for 10 article. Right? <laughs> you know, I just never, you never hit on those. But last year we were, we were saying James Robinson needs to be the primary person that you get. And so a lot of people did get him in like May and in dynasty and then uh, had him on the radar in June. So that, that was one of the few wins, but obviously you can take the loss now. Yeah. Oh uh, man. Maybe, but you just want to, you, you want to write down in front of you uh, and identify your bias. And then is that like before the, do you do that before you even look at like Vegas numbers and stuff like that? Like the odds, like the I over-unders. I usually just write spreads. down the matchups. Okay. So I, sometimes I do it on the Monday where I'm watching the Monday night game and I go, okay, let's just write down what the games are this next week. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to do any analysis. I'm not looking at numbers. And then on Tuesday, we get a clearer picture of the Vegas lines. So uh, those are kind of the, that's the starting point, I would say, to like the week. So, so you get your kind of your, your thoughts out on paper, have an idea of what you're going to do. Where do you go from there? Do you head to the optimizer first to, to look at some of the suggestions there? Or are you really trying to get um, a feel for what your thoughts are before you kind of hear a uh, group think on it? I think another thing that DFS is kind of slow to, and, and the, the craziest part about DFS is you can't move prices on players. You know, you can't move the salary where like Vegas, you can see them adjust right but once we once we find out what the prices are monday or tuesday that's that's just a key part of the week because then you can identify what are the inefficiencies and so the main ones is like was there an injury on the monday night game or you know that we didn't find out about from sunday like those are the big ones where you get the cheap running back uh there's also just the the backup where the guy we didn't know about the starter's injury News came out later on in the week, so the backups are usually, you know, priced a little different. And then there's a glitch. I don't know why they do this. Um, if they wanted to, they could just release the prices later. I mean, they they really could on the sites. But there's a Monday night football glitch where they they come out with the prices during the Monday night game. And so I remember this happened last year where AJ Brown was like like woefully really low price. Like he was like wide receiver, like 25 or something because he hadn't, he had come back from injury, he hadn't broken out. And then he had a monster Monday night game and his price didn't change oh. <laughs> because he was in the Monday night football game yeah. where normally, you know, you'd see that price skyrocket. So that's just something to identify on those first couple of weeks. Like there's going to be inefficiencies realize though, that like, you know, everyone's going to be talking about the cheap running back that week. No, it's not like, Nobody, you you have the secret information, but identifying that early on is super helpful. I, I want to ask you about that because that is where everyone tends to go. Uh, you see the practice reports come out. All of a sudden, Nick Chubb isn't practicing. He's got a high ankle sprain and everyone's going to pivot to Kareem Hunt. You know, maybe that's not the greatest example because Kareem Hunt isn't usually that cheap anyway. But you know what I mean? Do you find yourself wanting a lot of exposure of that player? a little bit of exposure to that player or absolutely no exposure or is it dependent week to week? Yeah, it's just kind of dependent. And 
so are you saying like a player like I don't know Mike Davis? Like there was a week, the first week Mike Davis was dirt cheap, the cheap yeah. dude after exactly, um, yeah, yeah after CMC. I would say in cash, we we tell people like it's not a stupid move to just play them in cash. They're cheap, and you can actually have room for error. Now taking a stance on them in GPPs is a big deal when you have a player that's at you know four Ks. Mike Davis was the minimum. You're basically saying, okay, well, if 40% of the lineups are going to have this dude and he only gets like 12 points, then that's that doesn't matter. It really does not matter at all. And so you're setting yourself up by taking a stance and saying, I know how many players are going to have this and I'm going to gain leverage against him by, you know, finding a, a player on the Panthers, you know, like a DJ Moore, that is kind of the 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 pivot off of him and, and how you gain leverage. So th- those are the kind of things that go in your mind when you see the cheapies because the cheapies, the free squares, they matter. You can't ignore them. You can't try to overthink everybody. Some weeks you'll get it right. And some weeks you won't, but the weeks that you fade it, you need to be able to figure out like, am I fading this game or am I just fading this player? Does that just come down to you and you're analyzing the game, trying to figure out what you expect to take place or do you have like a, a principle that shapes your views on what you're going to do with said player? Yeah, we we kind of talk about this method and this goes back to my teaching life. So props to you for for bringing back up the teaching stuff. Yeah. <laughs> when you would create le- you would create lesson plans for for your class, you don't normally start with like here's the assignment. You usually kind of work your way from like what's the big idea? How am I going to facilitate this? And then what is the actual end product? And so a lot of times we usually start with players where we actually need to start with a bigger idea and work our way backwards. So the, the way that you start is actually by calculating a narrative. I think the Panthers are going to get destroyed this game and Mike Davis is going to get seven targets. Okay, well, that, that's a narrative. And you're saying if that plays out, how is that going to affect the other team? So calculating a narrative is guesswork for everybody. Yeah. It just, it has to be. Um, if you can predict game flow, uh, you'd be having a lot of money and you shouldn't be listening to anybody else. <laughs> right. but exactly. game, games go haywire. And so it's really calculating a narrative and then working from there. But after you figure out the narrative, you also need to then mix in the price. So you can say all day, this game is going to go off. You know, the, the Falcons are going to score 40 points. But you look at the options and you say like, I can't fit in, you know, Julio, Calvin and Matt Ryan this week. I can't fit all three of them in. So what is another way to do that? Well, it's probably Russell Gage or, you know, Hayden Hurst or whoever it was that week. And so you're finding inefficiencies so that when you are thinking of how this game is playing out, you can actually get different too, because everyone's going to say, yeah, the chiefs are going to put up, you know, 40 points this week. Like that's the, that's the easy narrative when they hit the under like, eight games in a row. Right. I remember that. So if you chiefs, you actually did really well. Thanks for bringing up Hayden Hurst. All of my dynasty teams are crying right now. (laughs) I have him everywhere. It is really, really sad. Oh man. I really need Kyle Pitts to, to, to follow the trend of not being a, tight end one in the in the first year because i need hayden hurst to give me something anyway uh, uh you brought up this idea of like stacking is stacking necessary i'm just gonna come out with it just a real basic question do you need to stack in order to win i'll say yes with one caveat 
The only time you don't want to stack is if you have a, a running quarterback. That's the only reason you wouldn't do it is if you had uh, Lamar and you said, okay, well, Lamar goes off, but it's like Hollywood gets 60 in a touchdown. Andrews gets 50 yards in a touchdown and Lamar runs one in. It's like, okay, did you need Andrews? Mm -hmm. Did you need Hollywood Brown? Like, unless they were really cheap, you didn't really need them. But Lamar, you know, threw for three and ran for another. And those are the kind of players that you can differentiate yourself by also having a lineup that is, quote, as the kids say, naked, uh, I, the naked quarterback. Yes. And <laughs> we joke about that a lot. Yeah. That was, the yeah. first time I heard it was on your show, actually. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is fun. Did you expect <laughs> it? So, but yeah, stacking, stacking needs to happen. I tracked last year. I tracked every single team. Well, this is 2019. I'll have to go back through this past year's. But every single team that won the Millie Maker in 2019, they stacked their quarterback with at least one person. So if you're going to win the Millie Maker in 2019, you were going to do it by stacking uh, with one other player, usually a wide receiver. And running it back on the other side was pretty common, but you didn't have to do that. I, I used to think that in order to win a big tournament, you had to figure out the magic game stack. Like you just had to figure out what it was. And maybe this will go back a couple years for the Seahawks, but there was a game it was Deshaun Watson. I think it was his rookie year. Oh, I remember this game. Texans and, and Seahawks just went, went off. And I remember the winning lineup had like three, three Seahawks. I think one of them was Paul Richardson or something. And, and then they had Watson on the other side and stacked him with a couple options. Like there were six players. And so they had this massive game stack that nobody else had. But those rarely hit where it's like six players. Usually, you know, you're picking the quarterback, the wide receiver, and then you're bringing it back on the other side with another uh, player, running back or somebody else. That's that's what needs to happen most of the time. But running it back is more like seventy percent of the time it's successful. And um, when you say when you say game. running it back, do you are you referring to having someone on the opposing team as well? Yes, that and that's. That just makes sense. Like if Matt Ryan's going off, we got to use Matt Ryan as the example. Absolutely. Because right? Justin Fields Ryan, isn't there. <laughs> he he could have been. Don't worry. We have great backups. AJ McCarron now. <laughs> Another guy I have on way too many dynasty teams. <laughs> He's just chilling. If Matt Ryan and Julio are going off, um, let's pick a bum team. I don't want to pick the Saints. Uh, let's say let's say uh, your boy uh, Brashad Perryman is going off on the Lions. Um Chances are if that game hits its Vegas total, if it goes over 50 and the Lions somehow hung in there with the Falcons, then somebody got there on the Lions side. Is it right. DeAndre Swift? Is it Brashad Perriman? Somebody did. And so you just need to be able to look at the Vegas total, get a scenario, get a narrative and say, if this hits the over, then something played out on both sides. There's hopefully with some back and forth affair or there's some garbage points at the end uh, that allowed it. Okay, so how many players in a stack is too many? Like you mentioned this one lineup where they had, you know, Paul Richardson and Doug Baldwin and who, whomever else they had in there. Uh, when do you start being like, okay, this is this is too much. I can't play Ridley, Jones, Matt Ryan, and Mike Davis, and Kyle Pitts. <laughs> you know, like, when's it getting over the top? Yeah, so the max that most sites allow is four. Um, I've tried to do more, you know, in certain games, but you once you start going over three your chances are pretty dramatic the reason why you would do three is to differentiate yourself like everyone's going to be stacking everyone's going to do 
Ryan Ridley or Ryan Julio or Ryan Pitts. But when you when you add in that other option, you're basically saying, I'm hoping that less people have this combination together. And the best part about those when you're triple stacking like that is finding the third pass catching option that's not obvious. You know, that that's how you really get different. And that's how you win in DFS is you find receivers because receivers are so volatile, right? right. Like, you know, it's weird that Russell Gage was actually a thing the last two years. Like he's had more red zone targets than Julio. Like he's, I don't know why we keep using him, but he's had some moments where if you stacked Ryan with Ridley and Gage, then actually it was just way, way better. And, and you're differentiating yourself. So I would and say saving a, a lot of money. Way, yeah, for sure. Triple stacking is the way to get different, but it's not necessary. Do you ever stack a non pass catching running back with a quarterback or you, if you're going to stack a running back and a quarterback together, do they need to be someone that's catching the ball? Yeah. I mean, usually you would want the passing cat, the, the pass catcher, but I've seen lineups where the quarterback spreads the ball out to, you know, two or three receivers, they run one in and then the running back gets two touchdowns and they, you know, the team scores 45 and, and that's how they get there. And that's, nobody's doing that. You know, nobody's going to be having the running back and the quarterback as the two options. So I really would only do that in a really large field because um, you're trying to just say, I, nobody has this lineup. So that's the only time I'd really go that direction. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you pay up for tight end? I, this is like a, a common thing. Uh, some people are, you know, not willing to, spend that much money on a Travis Kelsey. Others are like, you know what? I want the best tight end this week. I'm going Kelsey. It's safe. I know I'm going to get, you know, my 80 yards and probably a touchdown. I'm paying the money. Where do you land on that? Or is it really dependent on the slate? I think for me, I've noticed that for cash, there are certain weeks where I say, I just need Kelsey. I need somebody safe. I need somebody that I can trust because I do love searching for the bargain basement. We call them punt tight ends. You know, you just tight ends that you say, maybe they're going to get five targets. And if they don't hit, I'm actually finding cash. So we, Betts and I would talk about that a lot last year. And we had some that hit. I mean, we had Jordan Reed one week. I had Tyler Croft one week that went for two touchdowns. Made me feel That's like right. I remember that. I remember that. That but, was awesome. Yeah. So I, my, I usually subscribe to like Kelsey, Kittle Waller, or punt it. I don't like to stay in that middle range. Now, the middle range is where you find guys that end up as the tight end one that week. You know, it's like Eric Ebron happened to catch two touchdowns that week, and nobody's playing this guy because he's at that spot where you're like, I don't really want to pay for that. Yeah. Uh, but so then you would use him in a stack. That's the only time you'd really want to pay for that middle tier, in my opinion, is if you're stacking because. You know, it's really easy for a tight end. We know this redraft, like it's really easy for a tight end to go two for 15 and, and just, just hurt. But if, if your guy's only 2,500 on DraftKings and he goes two for 15, you're fine. You can keep going. I think one of the mistakes I made a lot last year was playing those mid-tier tight ends that didn't really produce much that week. And then I invested just enough money that I couldn't really get the high enough high-end players. And yeah, you really end up being uh, behind <laughs> being in a pretty bad spot pretty quickly. Do you let um, weather and stuff like that affect you? Are you like updating your lineups day of because a thunderstorm's rolling in or something like that? Or do you just kind of let it play out because we've seen, you know, narratives on both sides play out? 
Yeah, that's that's tough. I'm usually more risk adverse where I just say I don't even want to want to deal with it. So I don't know. We we have like a threshold where we talk about it in like our Slack channel about certain wins. Is that really something that's going to, you know, cause people to stop throwing downfield? Like that's the biggest thing is just if it's killing downfield passes, those are the splash plays you want in tournaments and, yeah. and uh, the high floor that you want just for your receivers. So I will kind of, I, I, I would say I'm a little bit more moved by weather than, than maybe I should sometimes, but for the most part, we know some of that information on Saturday and people start to freak out more on Sunday. So I try not to do any last minute changes too much. I mean, unless there's, you know, something too crazy, but it shouldn't sway us as much. And I think a lot of the data has shown us that like, it's not as big a deal as we think. I think so too. Uh, I do, I do know like with college, with college football, which obviously that's, you know, the the premise of this podcast, uh, looking at college DFS, um, you know, they have those crazy windy games in like the plains and Wyoming and uh, Kansas and and those just really outlier type games. And, and I think what you're saying is like at the extremes, yeah, you want to make your adjustments, but for the most part you want to be because yeah, or super rainy wet field, like that could be just as bad for the offense as for the defense. It's really hard to know until you see the cornerback fall on his butt and the wide receiver take a four yard pass, 82 yards, <laughs> you know, like it's uh it's very different. Sure. What am I forgetting? What do we still need to talk about here that uh, that I haven't asked you yet? I did want to just mention some stuff about Vegas. And I know you guys are familiar about it, talking about it on your show. Um, and if people are kind of new to it, I would say the way to take advantage of Vegas is everybody runs after the games that are projected 50 or over. It's just like, makes sense. Like, yeah. it, I'm not telling you to fade them. But where I think people have seen the most success is if you go the next tier down, if you find games in that range of like 45 to 48, there's at least one or two of them that Vegas has got wrong. It's just, you know, you're not gonna be able to predict. That's where I've found you gain the most leverage. And you look at the roster percentages on our on our site. We do a lot of our projections where we say we think this player is going to be, you know, 5% roster, 10%. You find that there is such value in these players that are their Vegas totals in that game is 45, 46, 47. Uh, and there's a lot of te- a lot of games in that range. So I would just encourage people when you look at Vegas lines, don't just gravitate towards the fifties. Like, yes, like look at and see like, Hey, this game has 56. Like I can't ignore yeah. a, a game that has a 56 total, but look at those ones in the 45 to 48 range and maybe pick one that you say, I could see this game shooting out. I remember there, there was a while where the Colts kept hitting that same threshold. It was like 45, 46, 47, like their games. And Jonathan Taylor was the play in the second half because you either had to say Philip Rivers is going to get there or this team is going to get there. And I think that's how he was an awesome play in the second half in a way to gain leverage against a lot of people. I love that tip. That's that's awesome because you do want to differentiate where you're focusing, especially if you're stacking and stuff like that. And if everyone's stacking the same game, it's going to be hard to, <laughs> to find the the differences that you need to, to, to make money. You mentioned the DFS pass. Where can people find that? Tell us a little bit about how we can, uh, can find some of the work that you're doing with the fantasy footballers. Yes. And I just want to say first big road of his fan. I'm not just saying that cause I'm on the pod, but, uh, four or five years ago, I think I, I, uh, was bitten by the analytics bug and just really appreciate what you guys do. Uh, especially some OGs that kind of got me to think differently. John Moore, 
um, Matthew Friedman, just people like that way back in the day. And I really appreciate what you guys get to do now. So um, yeah, for, for us, what we get to do, Betts and I contribute to the DFS pass. And this year we decided we're just dumb sometimes. I We have really smart people. Andy, Mike, and Jason are geniuses. They're great at running businesses. But we're dumb in the sense that we give really good deals <laughs> and package all of our stuff together. Um, so we have our ultimate draft kit, which is award-winning. It's great. It's an awesome product. It's, you know, that's what we live and breathe. It's what we're working on right now leading up to June 1st. But we decided to create the ultimate draft kit plus where we include all of our dynasty content, all of our DFS content, ultimate draft kit, and you can get that for just one price. And so it's kind of wild that we would give away a DFS product and then it's just, it's done. You don't have to do a monthly subscription. Right. Um, and so right now we're still having a deal on that. We're having content all the way through the summer. We're having best ball rankings. So it's super fun that we get to add to it, make it better uh, in our DFS pod that Betts and I get to do together. We're, we're cranking that out once a week. So you can find that at uh, Face Footballers DFS pod. Yeah, that's awesome. Please do that. And like Kyle said earlier, they they smashed last year. And if you buy it, you'll make your money back pretty quick. I'm, pre- I'm pretty confident. Uh, For sure. Yeah. So, so definitely do that. You can also uh, follow Kyle on Twitter at Kyle underscore Borg, B-O-R-G. Uh, so do that for sure. Kyle, I really appreciate the time. It's fun hanging out and talking. I know we focus mainly on NFL stuff, but the principles, I mean, that's what we care about is the principles here. And they apply to college football as well. And I, I really do hope that people been able to kind of understand a little bit more about DFS. It's becoming more and more popular. More and more states are opening up the opportunity to, to participate in these contests. So uh, it's just a great time for people to sit down and, and take a few minutes to to learn some of the skills that are involved in in being successful because we don't want people just throwing their money away i guess if you're going up against us in a 50 50 sure uh don't listen but uh we we yeah we want to be a like part of educating if you want to venmo us you can do that too guys do you know yeah absolutely that works well kyle thanks again uh do follow him on twitter check out the podcast get the dfs pass from the fantasy footballers you will not regret it um have a great day and we will talk to you all later Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.